Democratic convention this week. Uh, people are wondering how in the hell they're going to pull it off uh, with the whole virtual situation that's going on, the social distancing. Uh, it's now wrapped up Friday morning. Uh, last night, Joe Biden gave his acceptance speech here to break it all down the week that was, figure out what the hell happened. Jason Matthews, welcome back. How have you been? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on every week and trying to talk me through the events that uh, seem to escape us because there's just one thing after another. Uh, and, and there was there was more than just uh, the DNC convention this week. I mean, we could go on a yacht and talk about Steve Bannon. We could, yeah, I mean, just... <laughs> who was arrested by postal inspectors? I, okay, I, I, a serious question: Did you know that the post office had inspectors that could just arrest people yes i yes, had they no have a law enforcement component to it there is um, something uh, there is something <laughs> about the fact with everything going on from the joy trying to dismantle parts of the post office yes i did say dismantle he's trying to sabotage it convince yes, me i'm wrong yes he is uh <laughs> to have that be the agency that arrest Steve Bannon, but not only arrest him, but arrest him on a yacht owned by a Chinese billionaire. <laughs> I follow, I follow um, a gentleman by the name of Taken Goddard uh, with Political Wire. Uh, highly recommend it, politicalwire.com. Yeah, but on, on Twitter, he posted this yesterday morning. He said, uh, Steve Bannon was taken into custody by the U.S. Postal Service. The writers for this season have done an exceptional job. <laughs> it's Because if, if this were a, like a major uh, series on, say, Netflix, I would have stopped watching by now. I'd be like, this oh, is, absolutely. They've, they've jumped the shark. <laughs> we jumped the shark um, <laughs> uh, a few seasons back <laughs> yes yes and here we are i mean uh anyway so, okay we can have some levity uh, uh about that actually you know what there are north dakota ties to this with that we build the wall well, let's start there all right Explain let's start those there. north dakota ties yeah uh the north dakota ties to this we build the wall of which uh i i, I suspect that there might have been a few bucks shared from maybe listeners uh this podcast to that because maybe that was the issue that uh, resonated with them uh, during the 2016 campaign. And I said, you know what, I'll, I'll, I'll throw some bucks behind this. You know, so you donated and uh, thought maybe it was going to this construction. Some of it did. And the construction apparatus that was used was Fisher Industries that is uh, originally from Dickinson, North Dakota, that now has a large contract pushed by Kevin Kramer, Senator of North Dakota, to President Donald Trump. And, uh, I'll be curious if anything, if people start pulling the thread on, on what this Bannon situation is, if there's any more to it or not. This is, this, this uh, exposes a major problem with what we have in this country with super PACs, with political action committees, um, 527s and the like. Um, and I think that this is, um, as you said, pulling the thread. The other analogy to use is pulling back the the, pe the peels of the onion, the layers of the onion, um, because um, this this is um, has the potential, the potential to be bigger than just simply Steve Bannon and a couple of his buddies, um, you know, bilking uh, donors here. Um, when you have the president's son endorsing this project um when you have bannon who is very much in trump's orbit he's not in the white house anymore as the white house strategist but very much has the president's ear and those closest to him um you know i, I think there's there's potential there um i think that that progressives if you know if you live on twitter 
Um, I don't recommend it. Um, but if you if you look at Twitter, people were all in the tizzy and they were thinking, oh, this is it. This is it. It had kind of those Mueller like vibes to it where uh-huh. everybody was waiting for the Mueller report. You know, you just have to take a deep breath here. Um, what I do think was big yesterday. It was a bad day for Trump. It was a bad day for Trump on three fronts. The first front was the Bannon story. But while that was breaking, the other story was out of a federal court in New York where the federal judge said, you know, enough to the Trump team about holding off and trying to get these tax returns and financial records over to Cy Vance, the Manhattan district attorney, so he can get them over to a grand jury. This is the the Trump tax case. And the federal judge is exasperated by this and and the case is moving along. So Trump has lost there. He's he's exhausting all of his legal options now um, in in trying to prevent those financial records from going to to Cy Vance. And then of course, last night, Sleepy Joe didn't look so sleepy, and uh, he didn't look senile last night. And and he gave he gave a, a, an acceptance speech, which we can get to get into, which I think was an acceptance exception, uh, acceptance speech that um, ranks right up there with some of the finest. Uh, before we get back to the DNC, because you mentioned the, the ban in the, the taxing and you brought up a name that, you know, everybody cheered on. I mean, that that was going to be we were going to have the truth brought up by Robert Mueller. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this week, something else that uh, came out was the Senate Intelligence Committee report. Uh, at least I think that was this week. Who's keeping track? Maybe it was last week. <laughs> uh, but. You've got a Republican-led Senate Intelligence Committee comes out and lays and bears more, more uh, I think pointed evidence, facts than than may have been just explicitly said in the Mueller report. The fact that they had criminal referrals for people such as Donald Trump Jr. back in 2019 that yeah that we had not heard of until now. Um, and that were not acted on. That were not acted on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you want to go down that that route? Um, the, How much uh, time do we have? Unfortunately, not enough this week. It's been a busy week. Um, it's been very busy. But uh, the thing that that irritates me about that is you've got Senate Republicans sitting in that committee, knowing all of this, working on it, seeing it before their very eyes, and then when the cameras turn on downplaying the severity of the interaction between that campaign in 2015, 16 and Russia, an adversary. Oh, and then by the way, this whole, uh, you know, trying to pivot and, and go down the Ukraine route. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's, it's maddening. It's head shaking. And you can tell that, uh, I mean, one, we're sort of in close to an election, but this should have been, another one of those, you know, uh, raising of alarms to where there should be action against it. And Democrats are just going to like, meh, we're moving on. It's Cause, sure, because it's- they've tried. I mean, there's not much in there. I think that wasn't kind of just assumed, which of course you cannot prosecute. You cannot do stuff on assumptions. So I don't know that stuff was necessarily new in there. It was just more, here it is. Here's the roadmap. And now it's just nothing. If you go back and you look at the Senate report, it, it talked about and broke it down in detail that Paul Manafort, who was the president's campaign chairman, shared um, privileged polling data out of swing states with a gentleman who was a Russian, who he, of course, was indebted to, who was an agent of Russian intelligence. 
Now that sure looks like collusion. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that collusion? Because he shared sensitive polling data, which every campaign has, which is internal, which they do not share for public consumption, unless, of course, if they're trying to frame the race, even then they don't share the really sensitive data. Mm -hmm. He shared the sensitive data to a Russian source who turned out to be tied to Russian intelligence on polling data in the key battleground states. And we know the Russians had a massive misinformation campaign that they launched through social media platforms and through fake news platforms. If that's not collusion, I don't know what is. It seems like the very de definition of. And yet you it have is. people like Marco Rubio uh, coming out uh, when that report comes out. Say, ah, mm -hmm. no collusion when mm -hmm. it is as plain and direct and as simple as possibly can be. If you're an objective observer and you're not blinded by this hyper-partisanship, which people accuse me of, um, it's, it's so bare and it's just, it's there. You cannot deny exactly what you're seeing. Believe your eyes, believe your ears. They're still telling you the truth. It's Orwellian. It's right out of a George Orwell novel, but I want to, I want to go back here for a moment and, and take a look while, while all this is going on in the United States, what's happening over in Russia right now? Two things are happening in the former Soviet union. Uh, the first is uh, Belarus had an election uh, about two weeks ago. And it was a rigged election. Belarus has had a dictator since the end of the Soviet Union for 25 years now. He rigged the election. His opponent flees the country. You have massive street protests. People are pouring out. Um, and they're demanding that the president step down because the election was clearly rigged because he won 69% of vote. You know, mm -hmm. you know, not, they decided, not quite, no, not quite not, levels. Though. Yeah, not 70%. If we put it at 70%, mm -hmm. it's going to be too obvious. Make it 69.3% there. It was democratic. Um, that's my bad Russian accent. Um, and, and so now he is uh, trying to crack down. Uh, he is a puppet of Putin. And Putin is now moving, uh, and this, of course, is recorded on Friday. There are reports that he's going to be moving Russian agents into Belarus, what he called, you know, what are known derisively as the green men. And they will create an incident which will then give Russia the predicate to really crack down and do what they did in Ukraine. So that you have to watch as this unfolds. But the other thing that happened just on, I believe it was Tuesday, is the leading opposition leader in Russia was poisoned. Mm -hmm. He was on a plane, he had a, a, a drink of tea, and the tea was poisoned. He is now in a coma. This morning, Germany wants to extradite or get him out of the country because he has allies in the West. And the Russians are not allowing any outside medical personnel to get to him. Now, in 1983... Ronald Reagan says that the Soviet Union is an evil empire and they are the focus of evil in the modern world. I think that still holds in Putin's Russia. Your poisoning of your poisoning of your opponents, all of these critics suddenly have accidents where they're dropping out of windows in high-rise buildings. You're moving in troops uh, into neighboring countries, using turmoil as a predicate to influence uh, or to increase your influence, your presence. And the whole time you're using your cyber operations, not just to meddle in an American election, they meddled in Brexit. They meddled in the French presidential election. They were meddling in Germany's elections. They are systematically seeking to undermine the Western alliance here. 
And you hear crickets in this hyperpartisan era that nobody's talking about it. Well, well, the people that are talking about it, you know, the Republicans, the Republicans don't want to say anything about it. And what absolutely pisses me off about that, because I can throw this out on my KFGO radio show. Afternoons live two to four, Monday through Friday, except for, yeah. Anyway, tune in if you will. Got to plug that. (laughs) Once a week, man. Give you one a week. Uh, I'll throw that out there. And you'll have the defense come out and say, well, Tyler, you know, we do that too. You know, America meddles in, in other countries' foreign affairs, as if that is some excuse to say, well, that's okay. I guess we got it coming. I'm not okay with that, boys and girls. Absolutely. Neither should you be. No. We well, can have an entire series on Russia Yeah, uh, and what's well, happening in the world. One of the items that came out uh, in that Senate Intelligence Report, I think one of the documents was a, a, a written letter from the from Donald Trump to Vladimir Putin that says, I'm sure you've heard I'm a very big fan of yours. <laughs> I, I mean, believe that's what it is. It is. And, and, and this just goes back to your earlier point. You would have stopped watching this Netflix series yeah, right. episodes ago. I mean, I it just keeps, it just keeps, you just keep jumping the shark. Like here. imagine that that's the panning of the camera of a, a number of documents. Here's how the episode ends. You have the panning <laughs> of the documents. And then all of a sudden it gets to this, this note that you can see where it says, you probably have heard I'm a big fan. And he, uh, he scrolled down, he panned down the camera and you see signed by Donald J. Trump. <laughs> and that's where the scene goes black. And that's the cliffhanger. And this ridiculous reality show that we got going on. Uh, That's exactly what it is. Uh, okay. So time's ticking here. Let's get in democratic national convention. We we've been talking about the, how, how are they going to pull this off? You got it virtual. Is it going to be weird clunky? Uh, Jason, I got to say, I think they pulled it off. And in fact, I think they did a masterful job of uh, making it little mini uh, documentaries. And I think, this was the convention which you got to learn more about the candidate than in any prior convention I've been a part of. No question about it. It was masterful. It was it was a top-notch production. The Democrats decided in April that they were going to most likely go virtual. The convention was supposed to be held July 13th through the 16th. They kicked it back to August, thinking that there might be a chance they could do something in person for the acceptance speeches. That bought them a lot of time. And this was a highly produced, highly choreographed, and, and without, you know, I mean, there were a few bumps in the road, but, but it was a top notch, uh, top notch production. What it did do, I think, is it boiled down modern conventions to what they really are, which is four night infomercials. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I think happened with this convention, my read on is somebody who's watched political conventions since 1988. I, I was, I have always been a nerd, mm-hmm. um, is, is that what they've done here is the virtual reality puts a premium or the virtual nature of the convention puts a premium on storytelling, on narrative. It also puts a high premium on brevity. And it also puts the focus on, in terms of trying to craft a narrative and communicate and connect through television, that focus on narrative Mm -hmm. diminishes the tendency to have red meat that you have at the conventions for the partisans in the audience and and in, in the, in the hall. And because of that, it was much easier for John Kasich and Colin Powell and all these other Republicans like Meg Whitman and and Susan Molinari and Christine Todd Whitman to come out and tape a speech on behalf of Biden. They didn't have to go into the hall. 
and and they they choreographed it beautifully and i think that what it's done it has changed. It's done two things. Number one, it's changed the the nature of political conventions moving forward. We're going to go back to having in-person conventions in some way, shape, or form, but it's going to be dramatically impacted by what the Democrats did this week. Uh, and I don't think you can have or you need to have four nights. I think you can condense it easily into two or three nights. But the other thing that it does is it sets a really high bar for the Republicans next week. Because up until three weeks ago, President Trump was insisting on having some kind of an in-person convention. And the Republican Party planners are scrambling here to try to get this virtual convention put together. Democrats had months to do this. Republicans are trying to do it in just a matter of uh, three weeks. So it'll be interesting to see what they come out with next week. There, there's a couple of things that I want to get to. First, uh, a very basic question. You just rattled off a bunch of Republicans that spoke at the Democratic convention. What Democrat speaks at the Republican convention? Rod Blagojevich. Blago, that's what I was thinking to do. I was, it's got to be Blago, right? He got pardoned. I don't know. I'm trying to think of who else would even be a contender. Yeah, see the fact that that long, that pregnant pause, that, that's We can't, we can't. I know, I know Scott Bale. Will be there. Uh, Charles Kid, in charge. Yeah, Kid Rock will be there. Kid Rock will be there, uh, and and somebody posted this. It was so hilarious. Was that Democrats? Uh, Democratic conventions. You probably saw this. Democratic conventions always feature musicians nobody's ever heard of, and Republican conventions feature musicians you didn't know were still alive. Hey, speaking of, I think Ted Nugent is going to be there as well. <laughs> I'm sure Lean Greenwood's being dusted off. I'm sure he's being dusted off to be brought out. I tell you, though, because I play the Nuge on my radio show. Because I like Ted Nuge music. Uh, But, boy, that brings out some uh, some harsh criticisms. And I get it. I get it. I've seen some of the disgusting things he said. But still, I I mean, Fred Bear, you know, (laughs) there's there's good tunes out there. Uh, I'm still going to, plus, you know, Kid Rock. Um, anyway, it, 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 one last thing on this. You know what I have people, and I'm going to go back to Marco Rubio. He's my, he's my uh, I guess, person I'm picking on this week. Uh, he tweets out sarcastically about, oh, yeah, you know, nothing like really connecting with America, like uh, having a bunch of celebrities. Okay, we just mentioned Scott Baio, Ted Nugent, Kid Rock. Those are three of their headliners. Oh, and by the way, the president hosted a game show that was called literally Celebrity Apprentice. So this whole, oh, well, Democrats and their celebrities, they're liberal you know, elitists. Give me I do have to say this. I do have to say this. I thought that last night or the, the last night of the convention, and, and I, I didn't sit and watch all eight hours of the convention, but I did like the moderator, the way in which they had that set up where they had a moderator, which was a celebrity that that's had the set pieces and interview or, or, or um, set everything up that, that mm-hmm. um, moderated the format. Um, I thought last night, Thursday night with Julia Louise Dreyfus, as big a Seinfeld fan as I was, uh, or am, was, was tone deaf. I thought that she was, she thought it was a comedy shtick and it was a comedy shtick for people who live on the coast. Uh, that was not the time or the place for her comedy shtick. And I don't think that that really played that well. Um, so that's my, that's a criticism that I have there. And Democrats tend to get into that and all parties do, but they tend to get into that bubble. Uh, and, and, and clearly Elaine Bennis comes out of that bubble, but be that as it may. Okay. Don't, don't, Snub, snub your nose at me. You laughed when she did the person uh, camera. I didn't woman. see it. I didn't oh. see it. Okay. 
Well, <laughs> go look. I'll go back one and watch there. it. I'll go back and watch it, but yeah. I didn't see it. All right. Well, there, there, let's because uh, I want to stick with another thing. But back to this format. <laughs> uh, not the not the moderator. We're but, punchy this morning. We're punchy yeah. this morning. Yeah, I've been accused of that all week. <laughs> must be campaign season. <laughs> yes, must be campaign season. Uh, the, so the, the the format. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about that. The Democrats had they had months to put in, and. The 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 speeches of uh, Mich- uh, Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, uh, of of the Joe Biden of this format, where you don't have the, you mentioned the red meat. Well, that is followed by the chants, the clapping, the interruptions of the crowd, the the message and the way of which it was delivered in a somber, direct. Yes. Hey, you're an adult listening to this, and you need to hear it. Tone. Yes. Uh, completely struck a chord now take that and go to next week where you're talking about the republicans probably haven't is haven't had enough time i and this is my personal bias i don't know how donald trump as a candidate and as the president can really deliver that same uh that that tone i know he wants to be celebratory Look what we did uh, over the four, you know, the first three years before this, you know, unexpected virus happened. You know, that's going to be the message. China virus. Yeah. You're going to give me four more years because we're going to do it again. Um, I don't know how you do that in this setting and and to get it to stick and feel as uh, as uh, moving at the moment as as what was able to be done by some of these other. Well, if the the Republicans are smart, they're not going to replicate to a T what the Democrats did. Um, Donald Trump is not somebody who stays on script and he's not very good when he's on a script. He, he feeds off of the crowd and what they've been doing so far all week long is both um, Trump and Pence um, have been going out each day of the democratic convention, going into battleground States and holding small events, typically around airports um, or, or smaller venues in order to feed off the crowd. So if they're smart, they're not going to do that for Trump, like what they did for Biden. They'll, they'll put Trump in front of a crowd. They'll, they'll have, you know, socially spaced or what have you. And he'll be able to try to feed off of the energy of the crowd because that's just who he is. Yeah. He will have to, you're right. Yeah. Cause, and that's what I, cause I'm trying to pitch. Well, and they say they're doing, he's doing this from the white house, aren't they? That's what they're saying, which is yet another norm that is that is being shattered. I know Democrats are all up in arms about it, um, but I always say that that's not a hill you you want to die on. I think people will see it for what for what it is. Um, You know, the, the problem is where, you know where does Trump go for the event? You know, the Democrats um, up until uh, two weeks ago, they were still planning on having Biden and Harris go out to Milwaukee, but they had an outbreak um, of convention. Some of the convention players came down with coronavirus. So they just said, well, we're going to make lemons out of lemonade and we're going to do it in, in Wilmington. It worked out in some ways. It's a throwback to the way conventions used to be. Candidates didn't go to political conventions, national conventions. If you were running for, for office, you didn't go to the national convention. That didn't happen until 1932, when FDR was the first candidate to accept his party's nomination in person. Uh, typically, the conventions would meet in June or July, they'd nominate, and then there would be a letter of notification that would be taken to the candidate, and the candidate would then accept the nomination and then would do so publicly at a large outdoor rally somewhere in the country, typically in that person's hometown. Uh, So in some ways, we're kind of going back to the way things used to be in this 21st century virtual reality we live in. Mm. 
Uh, I want to I want to go back to the DNC. We'll we'll talk at length about what the Republicans uh, do when we wrap up. What the hell happened next week? Next uh, week. But uh, you know, there was as I started off by saying with this convention, this format. I mean, I, I feel that I learned more about Joe Biden yes. in, in these four days than than what I thought I had known of the guy, and. Uh, it just, it, I, I saw this morning when I got up from people that uh, I know that, you know, sort of follow politics, say uh, how excited it is. The first time that they're actually more excited to vote for Joe Biden than to just maybe go out and vote against Donald Trump. Do you think mm-hmm. he gets a, do you think Joe Biden gets a big, uh, a big bump or a little bump, any bump? I think he'll get, I think he'll get a little bump. I, I think that, that the one thing that, that we've seen, and it was on, on vivid display this entire week, is that the Biden campaign has a theory of the case of this campaign. They've had it since day one. Biden said that last night in his acceptance speech after Charlottesville. That was the moment when he decided that he, he was going to run. That's what he said. He always wanted to run, but, but that was the moment he said he knew he had to run, take it for what it's worth. But the theory of the case that Biden has is that the, the mood of the country, um, the state of the country, I should say, being what it is right now, the mood of the electorate, uh, exhausted by what yeah. they're seeing right now, um, that there's Twitter where many progressives reside, and then there's a real world. And the themes and the messages of Biden's campaign have not deviated from day one. And that is, we're in the battle for the soul of the nation and jobs. And this is very much in keeping with Biden's brand. Biden is the last old school politician. Biden is that last of a breed. We're not going to see his likes again. You want to look at why Bernie Sanders... um, can enthusiastically endorse and give a very passionate and effective speech for Joe Biden, where he didn't do that for Hillary Clinton four years ago. And some would say sexism was involved there. Um, and I'm not going to argue that. But why, why Bernie Sanders was able to endorse Biden as enthusiastically as he did, why John Kasich had no problem coming out, why, why Colin Powell has come out for Biden, and then the host of these other Republicans, it all comes down to one very simple thing relationships. I know it sounds quaint. I know, I know people will roll their eyes. Oh, there he goes again, waxing poetic about the way it used to be. But you know what? Joe Biden goes into the Senate in 1973 and he immediately builds relationships. In 2006, Bernie Sanders come to the United States Senate, an independent socialist from Vermont. Democrats were nervous about him in the Senate. Sanders talks about this frequently. One of the very first people to come and greet Sanders and welcome him into the Senate caucus was 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 Joe Biden. Why is it that the all the other Democrats that lost to Biden came out in this convention and spoke passionately, eloquently, and enthusiastically for the man? It's about relationships, and Joe Biden has that. And what Biden, what Biden, what the convention's done, what the Biden campaign's doing is they're framing this as. Joe's just a good and decent guy. This is the guy who's going to call you when, when you're, when your friend, um, when you're, when you're down on your luck guy who's going to call you when there's a death in the family. He's the guy you want as a neighbor. You want to have a beer with. And by the way, that still works in American politics versus Donald Trump. I thought one thing that they did very well was Joe Biden. And I think it was Michelle Obama who even said this, Joe Biden's lived a life. Most of us would recognize. 
you know, and the, the one one more thing to add to the relationship thing that I think one of the the most striking moments was this teenage boy, uh, oh, Braden. He won the convention. As far as absolutely, I'm just the courage. I was, I was, I, I'm, I, I was, I was. If you would have seen me during that speech, I would have looked like John Boehner. <laughs> it, it just it was emotional. It was. I mean, even talking about it, I, Jay, I know that you're in a different state right now. I'm sitting at my house in Fargo. Goosebumps on my yes. arms right now. Just even thinking back to that kid, the courage to the speak courage. before millions uh, of people uh, and, and stutter the way he did. But the, to tell the story of how Biden is the one that you know told him how he overcame. Mm-hmm. Uh, having a stutter and Biden still struggles with it. You still see this in his speeches in, in, in comments that he makes, you can still see that he gets to a point and he hits a bump yeah. and he collects his thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, which is emblematic of, of stutterers. But yeah, I, it was the courage that that young man displayed. Um, and when he's sitting there and he's struggling on a word and you're just, it, it was emotional. Yeah. I'll yeah. just say it that way. I choke up even thinking about it because yes. it was so well done. And again, that's the, that's the advantage that the virtual format has because here it was just this kid probably in his bedroom in New Hampshire with his mom or dad holding the phone mm-hmm. or the iPad, taking the video where he could do that. He couldn't have done that in the convention hall with 25,000 people. No. No. And, and there was an intimacy there. Um, and it, it, it was moving. I mean, it, you had to be, you had to be um, a true cold blooded hyper partisan um, not to feel uh, emotion when that, when that young man spoke. Yeah. Yeah. I, and uh, I, I hope that I do not see that uh, the reaction of, from uh, the individuals that you just described today, because I will have no time for any of that. Uh, do you want to get a comment? I actually, saw, oh, I actually did see comments that were made that were very positive from from you know Republicans. Yep, I did too. And, you know, yeah, and, so and, and if I'm going to uh, talk, humanity. yeah, if I'm going to bring it back to North Dakota and the the Fisher Industries thing from earlier, and I, I saw you know Kelly Armstrong is involved in that industry, but he, I saw, you know, complimented this young uh, teenager last night too. So kudos to, to Kelly for doing uh, that. Do you want a Kanye West update for this week? Go for it. Uh, Kanye West has just been removed from the ballot in Ohio. I do believe that he is off the ballot in Montana and in Wisconsin as well. He is off in Wisconsin. Yes. So there's your Kanye West up the Yeezy as the kids call him, I think. So well, does that mean that he's going to perform next week for the Republican convention? Know, and yeah, well, you know, that's a, yeah. Maybe that's the other celebrity. There you go. There's the A-list <laughs> celebrity. Is that going to bring in Kim Kardashian as well? I haven't kept up with the Kardashians in far too long. Uh, don't even get me going on them. No. <laughs> hey, did you see that the golden girls house went for sale for much more than what, what they're asking? You know, I, I, I have to applaud you for your discipline. We've done this episode or these episodes now. What are we on now? We've been doing this for a couple of months. And, and just now you're bringing up the Golden Girls. Because uh, I heard this week, the house sold, man. That was one so, of the, I go, oh, that happened this week. We, we can't leave that hanging out there. All right. I am a huge Golden Girls fan. And long story short, and, and I just embrace it. Uh, long story short, I was my freshman year in college. My college roommate walks in 
on me. And usually when you say that and you stop, you, yeah, your see. mind immediately goes to things that college freshmen, men, um, things that happen in dorms. Let's put it that Good way. Good grief. Move he on. Wa- he walks in on me and I'm sitting there at my desk. I had homework. I was doing my homework and I had the Golden Girls on. And he looks at me and he says, Matthews, are you watching the Golden Girls? And I look up at him and I say, you know, uh, without embarrassment, I say, well, yeah. He puts his backpack down the floor, throws his arms out and walks out. And he's laughing and he comes back a little while later and, um, and, um, the, the, um, joking commenced and every guy on my floor knew that I watched the golden girl. So I just embraced it. And whenever a golden girl would die, I would get text messages and messages of condolence. <laughs> die. Hey, and now everybody who knows me knows about, I watch, I watch the golden girls. So, um, but the, the line that I drew was a guy in college, uh, came up to me and says, um, Matthews, if you like the golden girls, have you ever tried designing women? That's where I drew the line. No way in hell was I watching designing women. <laughs> right there. There's your golden girls update for the week. The house is gone. You got your Yeezy update. Kanye West, no longer on some ballots. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, DNC wrapped it up. Uh, I, I give them my applause. They pulled it off. I, I didn't have high hopes. Uh, blew me out of the water. Yeah. Not, you know, we'll, we'll find out uh, how the Republicans respond next week. They get to uh, do their response, do their showmanship, and yeah. uh, we'll see how they pull it off. Well, the, the, the speeches um, out of the convention, um, you know, the, the two speeches everybody's going to be talking about, the three, the three speeches are the two Obamas and Biden. Um, and, and the Obama speech was, um, the Barack Obama speech, um, was unlike any speech that he's ever delivered. And it was a speech, both his speech along with Michelle's speech and along with Biden's speech on Thursday night, um, were possible and actually were enhanced by not being in the arena. They, they didn't write those speeches to, uh, for applause lines or to elicit praise. Uh, they wrote those speeches to, to connect with the audience immediately, and they did masterful jobs. They did. All right, let's leave it out here then. Let's le- finish with former President Barack Obama because there's. Uh, I, I saw people pointing out that, oh, this is the first time ever uh, a president uh, is, is going after uh, their successor. And, no. and I mean, Barack Obama's speech can be boiled down to look it's either donald trump or democracy american democracy is on the ballot it's yeah. it's either or and you better choose wisely uh so that's where i'm gonna leave it at you know what i, I if people are gonna say well this is the first time a you know a president is going after their successor this is a successor that has done more to impact and attack norms and institutions than any other president has. Well, so I, I, I have to say this. I have to say this both about the Biden speech and the Obama speech. First on, on the former president's speech, um, Herbert Hoover went after FDR with a vengeance. All right. So, so there was that Donald Trump, of course, is entirely unlike any other president, but what makes the Obama speech. And I think the Biden speech last night is, 
um, noteworthy is um, William Sapphire, who was who was um, Richard Nixon's speechwriter, and then went on to become a, a, a columnist for the New York Times, was a great maven of, of, of language. And he put together an anthology of great speeches in history. And it is a wonderful read. And he has in there a section on political speeches. And you look at orations and moments, and I always look at it and say, okay, would that make an updated version of Sapphire's anthology? And Obama's speech and Biden's speech would. And that's not a partisan saying that. That's just somebody who, who studies oratory. And if you take a look at Obama's speech, he had four paragraphs in that speech, which completely, that whole speech bypassed the head, went right by the heart, and it just pulled at your guts, where he talked about farmers who lost their livelihoods to dust, the Irish, Italians, and Asians, and Latinos that were told to go back where they came from, Jews and Catholics and Sikhs who were criticized for how they worshiped, and of course, the experience of, of Black Americans. And he talked about how if any group of people um, would have given up on America, it's those groups. And he said, um, if anyone had a right to believe that this democracy did not work and could not work, it was those Americans, our ancestors. They were on the receiving end of a democracy that had fallen short of their li all their lives. They knew how far the daily reality of America strayed from the myth. And yet, instead of giving up, they joined together and said, somehow, some way, we're going to make this work. I mean, that, that, that just pulls at your guts. And that's what a great political speech does. It, it, it just gets right into you and it stays with you. Wow. And the fact that people were talking about and are still talking about that speech shows um, uh, how effective that speech was. Well, we'll be talking about it, I think, uh, probably for weeks to come. Uh, you know, this campaign's ongoing. We'll uh, recap next week and see the response of uh, of Donald Trump, of uh, the surrogates and uh, the supporters on the Republican side. Jason, I got to get running. It's always fun to catch up. Uh, we'll talk about what the hell happened next week again, all right?